If you are not yet born again, there is good news. Today, you are in a receivable place. In mere moments, something big, really big, is about to happen. Continue on. Isaiah chapter 8, 11 through 13. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. God's instruction to us is not to make a confederacy, a league, or friendship with the world, and not to fear the world's fear. The world's fear is deadly, leaving in its wake a host of spiritual and physical maladies. Jesus instructs us in Matthew ten twenty-eight, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The fear of God, according to Psalms 111.10, is the beginning of wisdom. There is no downside in godly fear. The born again are only permitted to fear God. Job 34.3, For the ear trieth words, as the mouth tasteth meat. The physical man eats bread, and the spiritual man eats words. Don't feed your spiritual man the world's fearful words. Skip your daily dose of negative, destructive, and fearful words from mainstream media. They are, for the most part, fearmongers and antichrists by nature. Their words, their fear de jour, will hurt you. The world is terrorized by sundry things, and new phobias are being created rapidly because that's one of the byproducts of fear, phobias. However, to the born again, those who have embraced the saving blood of Jesus Christ, there is no acceptable fear. Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We have promises to stand on. Promises like Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Hebrews 13.5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Who is a rock like our rock? Unsaved visitor, are you ready to shuck the world's fear? Are you yearning to break your confederacy with death? Today all your sin and its shame will be washed away. Today all of Satan's bondages will be broken. The bigger the better. Today your soul is in your own hand. In just minutes you can be born again, born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God. Follow me in this simple prompt and everything becomes brand new, even your name. Ready? Just go. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Job chapter 2, 1 through 5. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. God said, Matthew 26, verse 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. God said, Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Man said, Tell me comfortable words like, We're all sinners, or nobody's perfect, or my good will outweigh my bad, things like that. Don't tell me what the Bible actually says. That makes me uncomfortable. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1011, that will once again certify the marvelous inerrancy of God's beautiful book. All of these powerful features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the redeemed and as a powerful soul-winning platform from which to engage the lost. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting with us today. May God's faith shine upon you and yours with light in truth. You have entered part three of the God Said, Man Said series, Seven Greatest Mysteries for a Man to Know. This feature's wondrous and awe-inspiring mystery is the blood of Jesus Christ. Why the blood? From the fall in the Garden of Eden to the coming world-ending battle of Armageddon and on to eternity, the power is in the blood. The children of faith are so enthralled with the living Word of God. It is perfect and inerrant supernatural truth. It tells us where we came from, why we are here, and how to get where we need to go, and it's also gloriously provable. Yes, beyond any doubt, reasonable or otherwise. God has left a trail from day one of amazing proofs for us to find that satisfy the inquiring mind and that destroys the positions of all the so-called higher critics and the rest of Satan's champion detractors. Yes, all of them, all the time, all the time. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, Acts chapter 4 verse 12, than by the name of Jesus Christ, and only His blood can atone for sin, Hebrews 9.22. When I first gave my heart to the Lord, I was so intrigued, and still am, with the blood of Jesus and why it alone could cleanse and save a man's soul. I got a notebook and recorded every verse in the Bible that included the word blood. Why God? Why blood? Why not acts of contrition? or accomplishing great feats? Why not money, feeding the poor, or healing the sick? Why blood alone? Mockers have ridiculed our faith, calling it the slaughterhouse religion, 
And as usual with their goads, there is some truth. With my current lexicon of words and understanding, I can only understate the magnificence of the mystery of the blood, but the entirety of its need to atone for the sins of man was established at a place called Eden. At this place, Genesis calls the Garden of Eden, God's first two children were given dominion over all the earth. They were charged with the job of tending the beautiful garden God had made expressly for them, and to be fruitful and multiply. Just a couple of decades ago, evolutionists rejected out of hand the Genesis account of one original man and one original woman being responsible for all mankind on the earth today, labeling it preposterous and ridiculous. But then the field of microbiology brought them to their come-to-Jesus moment when they discovered through genetic research that, yes, indeed, just as God's Word recorded, all people on the earth today are the descendants of one common mother called MTDNA Eve and one common father called Y-chromosome Adam. Now, instead of claiming a million years or so of genetic history of mankind, the timeline has dropped to 200,000 years, then 100,000, 60,000, and with the new revelation that the DNA clock may move much faster than previously assumed, possibly 6,000 years old. There were two original parents, just like God's Word testifies, who were created to live forever and dwell in a garden paradise. But a deadly change of events occurred that turned everything upside down. Adam and Eve were given the following commandment from God in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6, Satan deceives Eve into believing his words over God's words. In an act of unbelief and disobedience, Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, and Adam followed her malevolent ways. They both died the second death that very day and surrendered their dominion, their birthright, over all the earth to Satan, who then became the little G-O-D of the earth, 2 Corinthians 4.4. Listen to Satan's statement to Jesus Christ, which the Lord does not challenge, in Luke 4, verses 5 and 6. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. In the Garden of Eden, Satan, the destroyer, takes legal position over Adam and Eve and all their progeny. They, Adam and Eve, personally sold their offspring into sin. At this place, the law of sin and death began to reign. Romans 8, verse 2 for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Satan took possession legally, and legally it must be purchased back, thus Jesus our Redeemer. All of Adam and Eve's offspring were spiritually stillborn. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were all spiritually dead, thus the need to be born again, John 3, 3, which means born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God. As a result of the fall, the sons and daughters of Adam are spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind, sitting chained in Satan's dark dungeons of unbelief. If mankind can ever be salvaged from the devil's cruel bondage, the God of law would need to make a way of escape that satisfies the letter and spirit of the law. God knows the end from the beginning because he is from everlasting to everlasting. He sits and rules on both sides of time. Psalms 41 verse 13. He created time and is not subject to it. When the blood-bought reach eternity, Revelation 10.6 reads in part that there should be time no longer. God creates a way of escape from the foundation of the world. The plan of salvation is in place from the beginning. Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. For as, much, uh, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The first covering for sin in history is a blood sacrifice. God covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal, Genesis 3.21. God creates the plan of salvation in deep secret from the very foundation of the world. Romans 16, 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. The plan in its power is first revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ in John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But it will take a blood sacrifice. Abel, the second son of Adam and Eve, was the first man to bring an acceptable sacrifice unto God, Genesis 4.4. Abel was a keeper of sheep, and he brought a blood sacrifice from his flock. God's word teaches that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24, bringing us unto Christ, and a shadow, Colossians 2.17, of that Christ which was to come. An excellent example is the last plague that befell Pharaoh's Egypt that broke the back of Satan's bondage. 
That plague was the slaying of the firstborn of all of Egypt, Exodus 12, 21 through 24. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lentil and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. It's called the Lord's Passover. When the destroyer saw the blood applied, he had to pass over. The Old Testament Passover is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. John 1 verse 29 speaks of John the Baptist's words when he sees Christ coming. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. We observe the Passover in its fulfillment form when we partake of the Lord's Supper. God requires a blood sacrifice to satisfy the legal letter of the law to effectuate redemption. But why? Matthew twenty six twenty eight. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Why blood? When Jesus Christ pays the price in blood at Calvary and is resurrected by the Father to sit at his right hand, something strange happens in heaven. Revelation 12, 7 through 11, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power is Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren and accused them before God day and night. Satan is a prosecutor and will exact the full letter of the law. Satan argues with God in Job chapter 1 and 2, and it becomes obvious that he thinks no man could attain to God's standards. Further, he believes that men do not serve God out of love, but only for the benefits that God bestows. Remove the blessings, Satan argues, and that servant of God will curse him to his face. Of course, that was the reasons for Satan's day and night accusations. 
It is an interesting point that Satan knew of Job, but somehow forgot to accuse him before God. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. In one day, Job lost all his great wealth. Even his children were dead, but the devil's argument failed. Job 1, 20 through 22. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. After the initial failure, Satan renews his challenge in Job chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them, to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The reoccurring theme in Satan's challenge is, He will curse thee to thy face. In God's secret plan of salvation, the stakes were very high. What if Jesus failed? The stakes were the souls of mankind, and failure would certainly have repercussions in heaven itself. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, and he could have stopped that process at will. Read Matthew 26:53 and John 10:17 through 18. In Luke 22:41 through 44, we read. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was in agony and prayed so intently, he sweat great drops of blood. 
a medical condition known as hematidrosis, a very rare condition that, according to the Dictionary of Hematology, occurs when a person is suffering extreme levels of stress, for example, facing their own death. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, went to Calvary, the place of the skull, and paid the ransom for the souls of all those who would call upon his name. He was tried, mocked, beaten, scourged, and forced to bear his cross until he fell under the weight of it. His hands and his feet were nailed to that old rugged cross, and then he was suspended between heaven and earth between two thieves. Judas the traitor ran off with the money, and the soldiers cast lots for his clothes. Jesus hung upon the cross of crucifixion a naked pauper, while the chief priests and scribes and elders railed and jeered. All his disciples and apostles were devastated and dumbstruck. How could it be? He was the Messiah. From the cross, Jesus looked down and saw John and his mother, both grief-stricken and heartbroken. And we find this exchange in John nineteen twenty-five through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Finally, this heart-rending cry comes from the cross at the ninth hour, three o'clock p.m., when our Lord gives up the ghost, Matthew twenty-seven forty-six through 50. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Somewhere in the deep fog between life and death, Jesus thinks his father has forsaken him. Somewhere in the deep fog between life and death, when his last drops of blood are falling to the earth, when his lungs, heart, and mind are failing, he thinks his father has forsaken him. He was the only begotten son of God. His entire essence and ministry was built upon the words of his father. He walked, talked, and performed great miracles by the power of God to bring glory unto his father. His father was all that there was or ever could be. Yet somewhere in the deep fog between life and death, Jesus thinks he has been forsaken. Mark fifteen thirty four. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yet in all of this, Jesus Christ did not curse God to his face. Remember Job 2, 4, and 5, where Satan speaks his argument. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, 
and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Life is in the blood, and Jesus Christ gave it all in love and obedience unto his Father and to redeem the lost sons and daughters of Adam. As his life is departing, he does not curse God and die. Job 19, verse 30, records these last words of Jesus. It is finished. At this point, for Satan, all is lost. The prosecutor's argument was fully vanquished by the love of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. From the beginning, only the blood of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world would atone for sin. Only Christ's blood could break the legal claim of Lucifer. Everything in the plan of redemption begins with the blood. Only Christ's blood can satisfy the curse of the law of sin and death, and his blood alone can atone. The word atonement is made up of the words at-one-ment, and only Christ's blood can reconcile lost souls unto the Father. The beauty of at-one-ment is recorded in John seventeen twenty-one, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You'll find this description of the word bless in the exhaustive Oxford English Dictionary. The etymological meaning was thus, to mark or affect in some way with blood or sacrifice to consecrate. To be blessed of God is to be marked, to be covered with the blood of Christ, the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. When one says, God bless you to another, they are basically saying, be covered with the blood of Christ. There is no blessing without the blood. In the deep fog between life and death, when Jesus thought his father had forsaken him, he did not curse God to his face. Satan and his devils were vanquished by the blood of love and sacrifice. John 2, 4 and 5 again. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Not so, Mr. Devil. Satan's legal arguments end at Calvary. When he sees the blood, he must pass over you. The redeemed, the blood-bought, are no longer the property of Satan. God said, Job chapter 2, 1 through 5, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. God said, Matthew 26, verse 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. God said, Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Man said, 
tell me comfortable words like, we're all sinners, or nobody's perfect, or my good will outweigh my bad, things like that. Don't tell me what the Bible actually says. That makes me uncomfortable. Now you have the record.